Thanks for listening to the Aspire Church podcast. Visit us at aspirejacks.org to access additional resources or to learn more about the ministries of Aspire Church. Turn in your Bible to, uh, as we go through Luke, the, the, we're looking at kingdom economics. We're taking the fact economics is the use of resources that we have. In other words, we're finding out as gas prices go up and as rent goes up and as our IRAs begin to dwindle away that we have an economic issue on the way. And uh, so uh, just as there are economic issues uh, financially, there are also kingdom economics. And kingdom economics, our, our capital, what we use are the things that God has entrusted to us. You know, he's still the sovereign God. He's still the God of the universe. And he gives to us certain things. And so we have the privilege of taking those resources after we become a believer and using them for kingdom impact. That, you know, we usually when we think about economics, we think just about money. No, but we're much more than money, right? Uh, that has our time. Uh, there's our talent, our abilities, our skills. These folks up here using their skills and their talents to lead us in worship. Uh, there, are, uh, there are a number of things. There's spiritual gifts. Uh, are you using those? We, everybody here needs to, if you're a believer, <clears throat> excuse me, you need to discover, develop, and deploy your spiritual gift. And there's one other thing that we will get to at the end, and that is this. All of us have been entrusted with the gospel. Uh, we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we have, when we come to know Jesus, that he commits to us the ministry of reconciliation. So all of us have been entrusted with the gospel. And to do that, we need to be speaking the gospel into the lives of other people. We are told by surveys, 98% of professing believers in America will never lead another person to faith in Christ by sharing the gospel. Those numbers are going to have to change if we're going to see change in America. But anyway, let's go to this great chapter. I, I said uh, to Gary, he said, will you preach for me? I said, yeah. I said, what's the passage? And he told me, and I went, oh boy, you know. We got to use the H word today, and we don't do that in church much anymore. Uh, we don't, you know. So uh, we're going to have to talk about heaven, and we're going to have to talk about hell. These are realities in kingdom economics, folks. Everybody in this room's headed somewhere, and it's either heaven or hell. And your next door neighbor, the person next door to you across the street, they, so they are as well. So anyway. We're going to read this passage, and then I'm just going to, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you three quick points, and then one very important response to these three things. It says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. 
And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may uh, warn them, lest they also uh, come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father, no, Father Abraham, but if, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, uh, said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, before I get into the sermon part, I want to share uh, a slide with you, uh, a picture. Do we have that, Megan? Uh, there. I'm going to do a commercial. You know, I don't get paid for this, okay? But we're doing a commercial. I'm a member of Aspire, and Pastor Gary and I have been working. And uh, what we're doing is we are starting micro-expressions of the church off campus. Uh, you can see the Legacy Church in the middle. That's, that's Aspire Church. And around it is a network we hope to create of DMLCs. We have one going right now. It is a disciple-making learning community. Except we often scrub out, strike through community and write communitas. The difference in a community and a communitas is mission. If you have a small group that meets for fellowship and Bible study, that's wonderful. But it's not a church if it's not focused. As J.D. Greer says, if you have a group that meets and worships but never engages people with the gospel, you just have a group of people who are gathering together and being disobedient. So our job, what we're trying to do is we're trying to raise a, a we're trying to create missionaries, hoping to put a missionary in every apartment complex near us. And so we're, we're, we're starting micro-expressions that are simple, biblical, reproducible, and very economical. No buildings to build, no this, no that. If you're interested, contact me. Um, just, uh, I know what some of you are thinking, oh, sounds like a cult to me. <laughs> sounds like the New Testament to me, because that's where they met. By the way, if you could somehow bring the Apostle Paul and put him, send him in the middle of one of our legacy churches today in a large building. I don't, especially, you know, if it's like a, one of the real big ones, uh, he'd probably say, ooh, this looks like a cult. See, it depends on where you come from. 
And so we're just simply trying to get back to, to a, some simple. So we have a, this is what you call a hybrid. How many of you have a hybrid automobile? Gas and electric. Any of you have one? Okay. Uh, you're probably like me. Uh, go, you have a touch of reality every time you go to the gas pump. What will really shake you up, folks? Listen, this happened to me the other day. I stopped and bought gas, $100 on, on the dock. I stood there and did the math. When I was a senior in high school, now I'm not going to tell you how long that was. I could have bought that same gas for between 4 and $5. Of course, our income was terrible. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, this, we're just, we're, what we're trying to do here in this commercial is, is this is not for everybody. It, it, and so we'll have a hybrid network. Uh, you know, we got all kinds of things going on. We got the folks meeting at the Towers, which is senior adults. We've got a church plant in Queens, New York. We have other things going on. But if you're interested at all in doing something unusual, um, I will spend some time trying to talk you into it. Then I'll spend some time trying to talk you out of it. Uh, and I can explain that at another time. But anyway, let's talk about this passage. Love this passage. It is very difficult, but it is a reality check for all of us as to how we're spending our lives. Let me, let me explain a couple things to you. First of all, if we got theologians in the house today, theologians will say they will spend a lot of time arguing about is this a is this a real-life situation he's talking about, or is this a parable? It doesn't matter. That's, that's as simple as I know how to put it. put it. It doesn't matter because you got to remember who's talking, okay? And the main thing is Jesus Christ is talking, and if it's a parable, it means this, and if it's a story, it means the same thing. It means there were two men with two distinct lives who wind up in two distinctly different places. Everybody in this room fits into that category. You're either headed today, gosh, I hate to do this because I'm old. You, I'm, you're going to say, oh, that's hellfire and brimstone. Okay, that's what we'd expect from an old person with gray hair. So I'm going to put this as kindly as I can. Um, I, I used to have a friend that was so good at preaching he could tell you how to go to hell in such a way you'd look forward to the trip. But I don't have that gift, see? So I'm just going to tell you, all of us are headed to one of those two places. You cannot define this passage in any other way. As much as I'd like to sugarcoat it and hand you a warm fuzzy this morning, it can't happen because this is what it is. We're dealing with kingdom economics. Two men. Let's profile them. Now, I, I never wanted to be an FBI agent, but I do know have a couple who are friends, and they profile a lot. What do they do? They gather information about the personality, the uh, modus operandi of a prof uh, and profile, for instance, a serial killer. And they know that they do this, they do that. There's a, there are common activities. So we want to profile these two men. The first guy, we'll take the rich man first. By the way, you want, if, you, if, if you want to talk economics this morning, probably everybody in this room is the rich man. 
if you just want to talk economics. Because if you compare what we live like in the United States, even the very, very lowest income individual, we have a very high standard of living compared to the rest of the world. But, the, you know, here's the deal. I got a question for you. Just came to my mind. Who's the rich man in this story? You say, oh, the guy with the money. Is it? You have to wait till the end of the game, right? It's like, it's like uh, Nick Saban says, we teach our players to go through the process and never look at the scoreboard. We look at the scoreboard at the end of the game. When you look at the scoreboard, the rich man is in hell and the poor man is in heaven. And let me just clarify this. Poor people, all poor people don't go to heaven. Okay? And all rich people don't go to hell. Riches won't send you to hell. Now, Jesus did say it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's more difficult even than a camel going through the eye of a needle. But your money is not what sends you to hell or your poverty what sends you to heaven. Okay? This is a story about how two men live their lives. The rich man was fully invested in his barns and in his business and all that was going on. Poor Lazarus didn't have anything. He was laid. The, the text there seems to indicate somebody had to bring him and lay him at the gate of the rich man. And so he didn't have anything. But in the end, the rich man becomes Lazarus or Lazarus becomes the rich man, and the guy who's speaking from hell isn't too well off at this point. So that's what we have in this, in this story. It is a very simple story when you boil it down. Everybody's going somewhere, and we're on a path that takes us there. Now, I want us to look, we're going to look at three things and then a, a, a closing part. Number one, your choices will determine whether you will spend or invest your life. There is a difference. There's a difference. I have $5. I will either spend it or invest it. I can spend it by going um, this way or that way and buy a nice coffee for $5. That will last me. I will get a good caffeine high for a little while, and I'll feel good and I'll have that warm feeling, and it'll be wonderful, but it'll only last a couple of hours. Now, I can take that same $5 and invest it somewhere. And I did some math. I, I'm not real good at math, but I did math this week, and I, I, I figured out if at, I had invested $5 in Walmart stock in 1970, I'd be worth some money. I won't have to tell you how much. I would just tell you, I wouldn't be preaching today. I'd be on the island of Tahiti uh, getting a suntan. Okay? Not really. But that's the difference in investing. So we invest our lives. Not only do we invest, you know, our investments here, but the investments of a believer, of a disciple, pays heavenly dividends. Jesus said in the sixth chapter of Matthew, Do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust can corrupt, but lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt and the thief cannot steal. We have to come to this reality. 
one of these days we're going to die. And when we do, great changes are coming. Husband and wife out playing golf. And as they're playing golf, it, it, you know, they're having fun. But then they kind of got serious and they, they started talking about death. And, and so he's up on the tee getting ready to hit the ball. And it's kind of gripping him, man, you know. And he's wondering, you know, thinking about, you know, what if I die? And he turns to his wife. He said, honey, if I, you know, they're, they're kind of young. So he says to her, honey, if I die, would you remarry? And she comes back pretty quick, which is kind of scary, and says, sure. Uh, I don't want to be by myself. I would probably remember. Oh, okay. So he hits the ball. Play a couple more holes. He's getting ready to hit the golf ball again. And that wave comes back over me. He says, honey, if, you, if I die and you remarry, would you let your new husband drive my $80,000 four-wheel drive pickup? She said, well, you wouldn't be driving it. So, yeah, yeah, I, I probably would. Oh, okay. So go a couple more holes, and this is really weighing on him. So he's getting ready to hit, and he picks up his driver. And he says to his wife, honey, if I die and you remarry, would you let your husband use my new golf club? She said, no, he's left-handed. <laughs> now, there are a couple of illustrations here, folks. Hey, by the way, it is not immoral to laugh. Uh, just want you to know that. Even in church. Um, you know God has a sense of humor if you don't look in the mirror in the morning when you first get up. But, you know, but seriously, but seriously, think about it. Think about it. There's a couple of things we can learn from him. Number one, there is such a thing as too, getting too deep into uh, long-range planning. Apparently, this young lady has already planned her future. The second thing is, and this is what I really want to drill home, is this. When you die, somebody else is going to get your stuff. It may be your boat. It may be this. It may be your wife. It may be your husband. But here's the deal. When, it's, when you die here, it's game over. It's just that simple four years ago this month my wife passed away from cancer I hadn't been home in eight days when she went to hospice I went and I sat by her side I promised I'll be here when you go and the day she died I came home and I walked in to her walk-in closet and I just stood there for a moment and I had a reality check Everything We had left 11 days ago for a routine doctor's appointment. She had, she had uh, we thought uh, her cancer was gone, but she was, had sort of flu symptoms. We went, they said, take her first to the hospital immediately. We did. Finally, three days later, I made the longest walk I ever made from the oncologist out in the hallway to my wife to tell her there's nothing else that you can do, we can do, you're going, to, you're going to hospice tomorrow. And eight days later, she passed away. She never got to go back home. The day she left to go to the doctor, she didn't go back home. And I'm looking. By the way, I, I, as I said in the early service, 
I think she had the Imelda Marcus disease. I don't know if you know who Imelda Marcus is. She was the woman that when she died, she had like 1,600 pairs of shoes. Uh, my wife, Carolyn, was not that bad, but I'm going, yeah. Uh, and so, but anyway, somebody else got the shoes. What I'm saying, folks, is we have to understand. It has never been logical to me, just not a logical, why a businessman, very intelligent, very good businessman, knows how to build a business, invest his money, become a millionaire, can do all that and never give one thought to what happens when he keels over. It's just, it's not even reasonable. The thing that turned my life around as a college freshman was reading in Matthew chapter 16. For what should it profit of man if he should gain his own, gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The rich man is a poor man. And the poor man, in the end, is a rich man. So, this is kingdom economy. This is what we have. By the way, there are three people that we see prominent in the world today. First, there's the narcissist. The narcissist's motto is this, what's mine is mine, I'm going to keep it, okay? It's me. It's all about me. You know, they sing in the choir, their favorite note is me, 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 me. And so that, that's the most important thing to them. And, and, and it's subtle the way that can, can creep up. Then remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Gary preached about the con man, the thief, the thief's concept. The thief's motto is, What's yours is mine if I can take it. But only followers of Jesus Christ who are disciples have the idea that what is mine is really not mine, but it's his, and you can have it. Generosity is the outflow. So what we have here is very simple. We can spend our life. See, here, here's the deal. The rich man invested his money and spent his life. Think about that for a minute. He invested his money and he spent his life and he wound up separated from God. Now, we have to be careful what we do. Number two, your economic past and present will determine your future. We know that. If I don't, if I don't save correctly, if I don't invest wisely, then financial problems may come. You know, there's an old saying, uh, when it comes to finances, if, you're, if your income exceeds your outgo, your upkeep will be your downfall. And so, you know, here's the deal. We, un we understand that we must be good stewards. We have, we have to invest wisely. We have to, to make sure that we do that. And so our past and our present determines our future. For the, for the rich man, his past was about money. His present was about money. And his future was about punishment. In 2005, a young, gifted author by the name of John S. Dickerson. Uh, I, I promote his books wherever we go. I don't get a royalty or anything. But I would encourage you, if you're a believer, that you read The Hope. Uh, first of all, that you read The Great Evangelical Recession by John S. Dickerson. And he is predicting. Uh, he is not only an award-winning, national award-winning author, but he is, a preacher, he is a pastor of a church in Indianapolis. He's written that book about what's going to happen in America in the next 20 years. And it's eye-opening 
And so far, that book was written probably five, five or six years ago, about six years ago. And so far, he's right on target. And, and it's, it, it's, it's very interesting. He's also written another book called Hope of Nations where he talks about, where he talks about what's going to happen worldwide. There's coming a day when we won't be the number one economy. There's going to come a time when there, a lot of things are going to change. But here's what I really want to say is this. He, he interviewed for an article Mike Pollock, Michael Pollock, who was a multi-billionaire real estate uh, a broker in Scarsdale, Arizona. This was in 2005. Michael Pollock said, we're headed, the market is going to flip upside down. We're headed for recession. All the other economists said, blah, doomsday sayer, doomsday sayer. Ah, it won't happen. Guess what? If you were alive in 2006, or if you bought a house in Jacksonville in 2006, like my wife and I did, and to find out later it was worth about half what you were paying for it, you know we went through a recession. Here's the thing, folks. Wise people li listen to wise economists. Wise spiritual people listen to wise spiritual counsel from this book right here. And there's no better investment for us than to invest in the kingdom of God and to be, to be uh, tuned in to what God is doing. It is, it is, it is uh, vital to us that we do that. And every day we make our choices on how we're going to live that life, where we'll live it as a narcissist, as a con man, or as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The third point is this. Jesus invites us to evaluate our choices and to embrace the abundant life that he wants to give us. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. In other words, that word abundantly means fully meaningful. What does he say? He's saying to us, I've got stuff that's not, a, that's not connected to financial advancement or notoriety or any of those other things. I have a simple, obedient, driven lifestyle for you that if you will come and follow me, I will promise you abundance. Now, you may be poor, but you'll be abundant. And then we say, well, I don't see how that fits. It does. Because what he gives to us in that abundant life, first of all, he gives, and this is kind of a linear thing. First of all, he gives us purpose. A lot of people who've made a lot of money still don't have a sense of purpose. And if they ever lost their money, they would be tempted to lose their life. Why? And it, which happened back in the Great Depression. Why? Because their purpose was tied to their job or to the money or everything else. But in Christ, we have the dr driving focal point of what life should be, and that is to live every day in obedience to Jesus Christ. In other words, we identify ourselves not as a, as a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Uh, you know, we're, we're not that. That our primary, our primary identification is I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and my life is in him. 
I find my meaning and my purpose in him. And consequently, consequently, take whatever, I'm still good. You know, a lot of people get divorced at, at, when they've been married about 25 years. For years, they couldn't figure that out, and then finally they did. Well, the average what happens is that's when the last kid leaves the nest. And so for all those years, they really hadn't, didn't like each other, or they tolerated each other. They didn't love each other deeply, and one day the last kids go off, have an empty house, and they look at each other and they go, who are you? Why? Because their purpose was to raise children, not to, to do it with a loving marriage and a loving situation that would produce something after everyone is gone. So, you got purpose that gives peace, that produces joy. Now, we've laughed some today. I like to laugh, okay? I'm sorry. Um, I, it's, you know, some of you look like you left home and forgot to tell your inner spirit. But uh, just, uh, just to say, I think laughter's good. But you know what's better than laughter? Laughter is like, laughter's like that five bucks. It lasts for an instant. But when we've invested in Christ, joy, which is much deeper and moving, is the result of a, our living a life of deep purpose and peace in Christ. The promise is His to us, and it works. Now, what about, what about our response? What about the practice? This passage, this, this story speaks to our mission. And by the way, folks, we don't have any reason to be in this building today when you take away the mission. I, I, I got accused as a pastor, probably they were right, of preaching too much about missions. All, 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 you know, but listen, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. And I can't give you who said that. It just came in my brain. It's somebody else said it. I'm quoting someone else. Sorry. I can't give them the credit for that. But that's true. And the mission, we have a mission, and that's our reason for being here. We hang out. That's why we're starting DMLCs. We're not starting DMLCs to hang out just to hang out together and be buds and study the Bible. We're doing it to raise spiritual SEAL teams to go behind enemy lines with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so listen, our job, our role here, our role is to take the message that we see in this story, whether it's a story or a parable, and that is that people, if they do not trust Christ, they're bound for eternal punishment, and the only hope is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. On July the 6th, 1881, 15-year-old Kate Shelley was lying in her bed in Iowa. It had been raining all day. It was terrible weather. She lived near the river, and there was a railroad trestle that went over the river. And while she's sleeping, she hears the sound of uh, steel being wrenched apart, and, and something drastic happened, and she knew exactly what it was. It was the train 
there was a work train that would go in front of a passenger train in order to take care of any issues that might be necessary so they could stop the train, the passenger train, before it got there. Well, the bridge went out when the work train went across. That meant back down the track a ways, the Midnight Express was coming with 200 passengers on board, and, and there was no way for them to be warned. Their support train was gone into the river. She took a lantern, still in her night clothes. She worked her way across the fragments of that bridge to the other side, started running up the track, and ran up the track to the nearest station and told the station manager who was able to stop the train. She is today a railroad hero or heroine. She is because of what? Her willingness to sacrifice herself in many ways, risk her life to warn a train saved over 200 passengers. Now listen, Kate's story is very simple. This is who we are. We're the Kates of the world. This is the mission of the church to go back up the tracks and say to people, hey, you don't want to go there. The rich man said, listen, you can't give me water. I'd just take a drop on them, but you can't give me that. Listen, I have five brothers back in my house. The last thing I want is for them to come here. Go tell them. Go tell them. The ministry of the church of Jesus Christ today is even more drastic than what Kate Shelley did that night because we have a vast world around us. We have a world that is insensitive to the gospel. We live in a city where probably in the greater Jacksonville area there are over a hundred million people, I mean over a, a million people who do not know Jesus. They tell us in most of our American cities that 10% are really true believers from what we can tell. We can't be, you know, we're not judging, but by their fruit you should know them. And so about 10%, that means that over a million people in the greater Jacksonville area need to hear the gospel. And we have to go where they are. Kate couldn't wait at the bridge to tell them, hey, the train, you know, the bridge is out. You got to go. They're not, 60% of the people in Jacksonville, Florida, will not come to this church or any other church, even the more, uh, you know, the others that are, that are mega churches, unless it's a wedding or a funeral. We have to go. So this really is all about mission. It's really about the fact that there are a lot of poor folks out there who are really members of the kingdom and they're going into the kingdom, but there are a lot of, a lot of rich people, a lot of people separated from God and they're headed to the same place where the rich man went and we have been entrusted. In 2 Corinthians, I I'm, I'm quoted earlier, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We'll ask the 
praise team to come down and prepare to uh, sing a song. We're going to do one more song. And after they're here, I'm just going to lead us in a word of prayer. Let me say to you this, this morning, if you're here and you do not know Jesus, there are people in this room who can tell you, that can share the gospel with you. Number two, if you are a born-again believer and you're not telling people about Jesus Christ, you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ by this book. Because discipleship is the result of discipleship is disciples who do what? Make disciples. That's our mission. C.H. Spurgeon said it right years ago. You're either a mission field or a missionary. There's no middle ground. Let's pray. Father God, there's a world lost and dying that desperately needs to hear the gospel. And I pray today that you would break our hearts, break our hearts to go and tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. Spirit of God, burden our hearts, break our hearts so that we'll be passionate about the gospel and the lostness in our city. I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Aspire Church Podcast. If what you've heard has been helpful, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the ministry of Aspire Church or want someone to contact you personally, please visit our website at aspirejacks.org.